Welcome to the Adventure Creator Podcast. My guest today, Pierce Klinka, is back for round two. The first time Pierce was on the show, it was episode 27, called You Can Learn From Anyone. And I think you can learn from anyone, and I think I learn a lot from Pierce is what I'll tell you. But today, Pierce is back to offer more insights, um, update us on what he's been up to the last six months, and some of the stories of working in the field on productions, dealing with clients um, as an editor. We also talk about exercising the creative muscles. And Pierce lays out a few core tenets to what it takes to be able to do what he does. The first and foremost is um, just being able to fail, knowing that failure is okay, small failures. It's, it's not necessarily about how much you fail or succeed, but more about how you recover. So Pierce explains that really well, as well as not worrying about others' judgment and um, the other myths that hold us back creatively. So Pierce is here today to enlighten us with his perspective, and um, I had a blast picking his brain. So let's get into the show with Pierce Klinka. Pierce Klinka, welcome back for round two, man. Thanks for having me. Thank you for dealing with my shenanigans this week, just prioritizing skiing over professional things over the podcast. So sorry for <laughs> squirreling us into a Friday morning, but thanks. For <laughs> I mean, I've been doing the same things the last two weeks too. You got to chase the snow. Yeah. Where have you been? Um, well, we had a huge storm here in Ketchum where I'm based out of now. Um, and then the I snuck out in between storm cycles to Bend, Oregon, and then skied the next week there pretty much. And then Dude. back to Idaho. You drove? Yep. Big uh, road trip. How far person. is that drive from, from uh, Idaho? Uh, drive time is eight hours. Um, but then we're in mountain time here, and then Oregon's on Pacific time. So it's shorter going there and longer coming back. Gotcha. You lose an hour, gain an hour. Um, yep. Sweet, man. Well, as I just introduced in the pre-episode introduction of you, um, we had an episode on the podcast before, number 27. So might be worth just going back if we want to hear more about like your overall journey and like how um, you kind of got to where you're at and just some of the things you've learned along the way. Go back and check that episode out. This one's going to be more focused on what we've been thinking about recently, what's been on your mind. Um, so why don't you introduce yourself just for anyone just to give some context for this conversation and um, we'll go from there. Certainly. Um, so I'm 22 years old. I've recently graduated from Santa Clara University with a degree in film, um, class of 2020. And then pretty much two weeks after I graduated, well, actually during that two weeks, I was collecting all my belongings from various places and consolidating it all preparing to move out here and during those two weeks I actually ended up recording the first episode with you and then yeah. moved myself out to Idaho here I'm based out of Ketchum um, which is probably not as well known as Sun Valley but that's just the town over and so I work it's a here town too which is funny yeah exactly like most people live in Ketchum and very few people actually live in Sun Valley and so I'm a freelance cinematographer, photographer, and editor, more or less, um, with a focus in like adventure sports. Radical. Uh, That's real rad. <laughs> try to keep it that way. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, thank you for that introduction. Um, and we, so yeah, we spoke a lot on the first one. The first episode was titled, You Can Learn From Anyone. Um, just one of many little nuggets of goodness that you sprinkled throughout that episode um and yeah I, I love what you talked about i want to ask you specifically while we're talking about road trips what it is about a road trip for you in connection with creativity whether that's photography or video that's so powerful or that brings you so much joy uh definitely i love road tripping i'd have to say it's probably my favorite form of travel um just because of the freedom and flexibility that it offers over other forms of transportation and having grown up road tripping and continuing to do that into my early adult life, it's just, I don't know, there's something about it that just feels right. Um, you know, the freedom, a lot of people talk about it, you know, the freedom of the open road. And it's, I think, especially solo road tripping for me is just so awesome. And I know a lot of people don't like 
being by themselves and being in their head for that long, maybe, and they get bored. But it's just for me, I'm just so fascinated by the landscapes that you drive through and how everything slowly transitions. And being a photographer and videographer, too, it's great to just be able to stop whenever, wherever you want and just shoot something. Um, And then in the more boring stretches, keep going, you know? Absolutely. Do you ever have the internal fight with yourself? Like you're going 60 miles an hour, you're trying to get somewhere, it's getting dark. You're like, oh man, should I try and get to that spot by sunset? Or I just saw something cool here. I could, you know, take 30 minutes here. Like, how do you, yeah. I guess the question is, how do you decide on a road trip? Like, I'm going to pull off here. Is it an instinct? Is it, are you looking for something specifically? I think most of the time it's instinctual, I would say. And that's like, I mean, that's goes for almost all of my shooting to begin with, I would say. It's like, there's usually things that just catch my eye and I just listen to that intuition and then capture it as best as I can in the moment. I Sometimes, you know, I'll plan, like, I want to be here by sunset so I can shoot that area. But a lot of the times it's just driving and seeing what looks cool. Like, um, on this most recent drive um, from Ketchum to Bend, I... I think I left Ketchum around noon, which wasn't terribly early considering the long drive. And then I ended up stopping and shooting the sunset because it was just popping off. And um, I've been shooting mostly film for my stills recently just because I feel like it really makes my creative juices flow more so than shooting digital does. Digital almost at this point feels a little bit robotic just to like you can see the shots as soon as you shoot them i know exactly how i would post process versus film still has that element of unknown to it that i think makes it more of an art to me rather than like digital feels more like a science almost um so on that trip to bend i actually shot i think two full rolls of film while i was driving not cheap, huh? No, I mean, it's definitely not a cheap hobby or passion, but I, for me, it's just so worth it because um, the images that you create, are there's just something distinctly unique about them compared to a digital image. I saw you did the Instagram story, how to develop your own film at home. Series. Yeah, that was fun. I've always... How did that? Um, as really spur the moment I had some roles to develop and I've always wanted to share the process with people because I don't think everyone fully understands actually how much work it is. <laughs> and uh, also I think a lot of people are interested in the process as well. And I love teaching, so it's cool to be able to share my craft and to share the process with everyone else. Nice. So, yeah. I, you, I could tell you just kind of enjoyed that natural teaching that just that process of teaching that's cool i took a dark room i guess it was like photography one or two or something in high school and we would develop our photos in the dark room but we wouldn't have any idea like what the chemicals were maybe i just don't remember but you just kind of throw it in this bath throw it in this bath and then it's blurry and you're just like darn okay what did i do wrong and yep uh, i found that i found a few of those old photos the other day it's funny to see but i have very little experience with black and white film so i I can get a, I have a little bit of understanding of what you're talking about. I love the, the the way you said it. Like there's this element of the unknown. So like with a client shoot, you're not going to bring a, a film camera and be like, Hey, you know, let's try and capture this mountain biker in the middle of the air with one try, you know, um, versus just when you're, so you're basically majority of the time creating with the black and white film when you shoot photography. Yeah, so I shoot a lot of black and white. One, because I think it makes you a better photographer. And two, because I don't have the knowledge or the skills yet to develop my own color film. So, but I really enjoy the whole developing process and I like having that control over it. So for me, that's a benefit of shooting black and white. Not to mention also it's cheaper um, than color film is. Not by much, but you know, it adds up over however many rolls you end up shooting. Totally, totally. I think right before you joined Stellar Media was our last conversation, correct? Pretty much, yeah. So what have you learned? How has it been working with uh, other people that are like-minded in the same space as you? And 
Talk to me a little bit about that first six months, your first job post-college, man. That's huge. Yeah, I know. I mean, I want to start off with just saying I feel super grateful to just have an opportunity to work in a field that I want to work in straight out of school because between COVID and other factors, so many of my peers didn't get that opportunity. So very grateful for that. Um, returning back to work, though, um, it's been an absolute blast. Like, I, I'd enjoy every minute of it whether I'm in the office editing or out in the field shooting. Um, I think one of the greatest things about my job is just getting to work with such a diversity of people as well. And no one, no two jobs are the same either. So you're always shooting in a different place or a different subject or whatever. And I enjoy that variation in my life. What's been one of your favorite projects of the last six months? Ooh, um, I mean, the, the content of the shoot wasn't necessarily like super riveting or something that I was passionately driven by. Um, but, um, we have done some shoots with a local Red Bull athlete here, Rebecca Rush, and she is just absolutely amazing to work with and a wonderful human being on top of that. And so I've really enjoyed doing those shoots with her. Um, what just type of athlete? What is she? She's in? an endurance uh, mountain bike athlete. Um, so awesome. like, we've helped shoot some of her races here. Um, she also did a fundraising project when I think it was kind of like middle of the summer during quarantine still when a lot of people were doing like the Everesting challenge where you climb nine 29,000 feet of elevation or whatever um and so she did that on a local road here out trail creek and i think she ended up climbing it like 14 times or something like that in a row which is absolutely brutal on a mountain bike uh no she's riding on a rigid gravel bike mountain biking uh endurance mountain biking is not an easy sport and um you know not for the faint of heart for sure Oh, What's it like to not. capture that? What, what are some of the challenges involved with capturing a mountain biker who's moving down this massive mountain so fast? Like they go by so fast, you set up and, you know, they zoom by or are you using drones? Are you using like a teamwork kind of thing? Like what's that? Um, I mean, so we're, when we're filming with Rebecca, you know, it's, we're only filming one person, except we have probably a team of four or five people out there trying to capture it all. So using cameras on the ground, using drones, um, whatever we can. And then it's like kind of this like game of leapfrog where you shoot her in one spot and then you got to jump ahead and then get in front of her, set up, shoot the next spot. And so that's just like all throughout the day, what you're doing is just chasing her around the mountains pretty much, but wow. it's, it's a lot of fun. Do you ride mountain bike at all? Oh yeah. I mean, I, I grew up mountain biking. I've been a mountain bike instructor for five summers and i That's also right. we talked about that race, <laughs> yeah, <I> just spaced <laughs> race yeah. downhill at a pretty competitive level as well you race downhill that's man i would see those people doing that and just not understand like for me just going down the hill is enough of a challenge um but so yeah did you have like a competitive spirit i've been thinking about this a lot too because Definitely. Been, I don't know. I've been feeling this urge to like play more basketball and um, just do some like fun competition just for the sake of it. Definitely. That, that I would consider myself to be a very competitive person. I, I like doing well and I like winning. Um, but at the same time, you know, like I'm not going to be bitter about losing either. And I guess it's always been a goal of mine to still be friends with my competitors as well. I think that's mm -hmm. important because like, that's really why you're out there is you know, everyone's in it together. Yeah, totally. And especially once you get a little bit older and you're like actually in the professional world, there's not, I mean, if you have a competitive mindset, it's kind of that scarcity mindset of like, Oh, it's either you or me. When in reality, the, like I heard someone say recently, there's two ways if like you can go about it. One is through collaboration. One is through competition, right? You can try and like get the minimal resources that are available, or you can collaborate and create more resources and, and do that and share that. And obviously like the successful societies throughout history have done that. Whereas 
people that are just like trying to take it doesn't it doesn't um it's not a long-term positive solution so definitely i kind of like how that ties into what you've been doing in terms of just sharing your knowledge coming on here and i remember last time we talked like in depth about some of your creative processes i was super fascinated just because you have so much experience i think how long have you been have you been shooting photos um photos for man really run to the math here been shooting photos since early early high school and then shooting video since about like halfway through college essentially so that would put me at maybe like nine years of pretty solid photo experience and about five years of good video experience give or take do you even remember what you were like before identifying as a creative and going down the photography route because i um i wrote on here everyone has an art because someone said that to me the other day on the podcast they're like everyone has something inside them that they will enjoy doing be passionate about talk to me about like when that time when you found what you were passionate about and how that's impacted you over whatever um i mean I guess I could trace the origin all back to like my first backpacking trip that I did ever. Um, one summer with my brother and my dad, we were in the enchantments back in Washington. Um, and I think at the time I didn't have any sort of actual camera, but I had like the old eye touch. If you remember those, um, little iPods. Yeah, pretty much. Like they're like the predecessor to the iPhone because it's like everything an iPhone is now, but without like the actual phone capabilities, more or less. I remember it. We used to have those under our desks playing games and math class in class, playing like these little like the idiot test. We would just do this idiot test. Yeah, or like Temple Run or something crazy like that. (laughs) But yeah, so like I was on that trip and I shot a whole bunch of photos on my iTouch and then. After that, I started just shooting more photos with it. And eventually, I think that following Christmas, I got a camera. And then that was my camera for probably the next five years almost before I decided to upgrade to my current setup. And so did you... I guess you could say that. Yeah, that was, that's, so that's kind of the origins. So talk to me a little bit more about... You went on the enchantments trip. I've got a vacuum in the background and you brought your eye touch. Like, were you shooting photos of landscapes of your trip of t- setting up tents? Like, uh, it was pretty much pure, like purely landscapes. I mean, if you look at most of my work, even to this day, I rarely incorporate human factors into it. And it's never the focus of my photos. The environment is always the focus. Um, so that's something that started very early on as continued to this day. Even you've got a couple, you got a couple, uh, human bodies, not many faces though. Yeah. Um, that's, I, just, I mean, you got, you celebrated your graduation. I see right there. That's, that's the best photo on the whole page. <laughs> yeah. I don't post very many of myself. I take a lot of photos of people when I'm out like with my friends on adventures, but I don't usually choose to publish them um, just because I, I mean, part of being an artist is curating your body of work. Um, Totally. I've been thinking about this a lot recently and it's crazy. This guy's vacuuming directly outside this door. (laughs) Can you hear that pretty easily? Anyways, I'm not uh, getting it on my end. So. I've over the years gone back and forth, but like, I want to talk about this whole concept of what work should you put out? Should you set this high standard for yourself, especially early on, your work's not going to be that good. So setting a high standard for yourself is just going to hold you back. But there's a line at which it's like, you want to put your best work out there. You don't want to put like bad stuff. that's like not your best work. And then people see that and they're like, well, this isn't that good, but, but it's, and it's not that good. You're not trying to say it's that good, but social media, like Instagram kind of, baits you into this idea that you need to be publishing stuff all the time and the more content, the better. So talk to me how you think about those types of things. Yeah, I think it's really important to always set high standards for yourself as an artist, as far as the things that you end up publishing. But that's not to say that you shouldn't experiment and make mistakes when you're doing your work. Cause that's, I mean, 
if people actually saw every single photo that I've ever taken, they would think I'm a terrible photographer. Let's just put it that way. Um, and so it's only by carefully selecting your best images that you can actually create a good body of work, I'd say. And then going back to the whole, like, how Instagram factors into that too. I mean, I've gone through periods where I tried to post every single day, but it just ends up not really being quality at that point. So I choose to just post whenever I have good stuff to post or whenever I'm feeling inspired to work and not worry about that consistency element. One, because I'm not trying to become an influencer or like grow my following in that sense. Like I'm here to share my art and that's it. So I'm going to do it at a pace that feels appropriate to me and at a pace that I can ensure that its quality stays high. Wow. That guy is just getting closer to my door. Um, I'm sitting over here wanting to talk so bad. And this guy, I'm keeping my fingers on this little microphone level to try and keep this background noise out. Sorry for the distractions. I think doing podcasts down in this conference room is not going to be something I continue to do. This is a disaster. Um, but you're, you, on the other hand, are just locked in. You got a nice, quiet place to actually think for yourself. And I think that goes to show, I mean, we just moved to Seattle a month ago. I've never actually lived in the city, but um, I think it's going to be a good year here, hopefully. But it's not going to be, I, I would much rather see myself out Sun Valley or Salt Lake or whatever, just traveling more and living closer to the outdoors and nature. I got a ton more to talk to you about. So let's keep, let's keep moving on. But, um, how does, inter we, we did a podcast the other day on uh, my buddy and I on just the power of nature and what it feels like the benefits, not only scientifically, but like just anecdotally of spending time outdoors and living in Sun Valley and with your lifestyle, you're naturally spending a lot of time, a lot of time outdoors. How does that impact you on a physical and mental level? Oh, I think it's been fantastic in every way. Um, I think that was one of my biggest hesitations with going to school in the Bay Area to begin with is knowing that my access to nature would be a little bit more limited or at least the types of nature that I enjoy. Um, it's like just going to like a county park and taking like a small hike isn't really my cup of tea. <laughs> I like to get a little bit more extreme than that. So being here in Ketchum is awesome, you know, because it's a five minute drive to the base area. I want to go ski the resort. And then wow. within 20 or 30 minutes, I have probably thousands of acres of backcountry terrain to access. And during the summer, I go rock climbing and slacklining all the time. And I, that's definitely one thing I came to realize during college is being a little bit more deprived of that access. It definitely took a toll on my physical health to some degree, I mean, I'm still a pretty active person all throughout college, but I think it took its biggest toll on my mental health. Of, I didn't realize how much of an impact those activities had on my well-being. And now that I'm back doing that stuff more often, I can definitely see the effects of it. Same exact thing happened to me. I went to college in Indiana. I, I don't know if we talked about this on the first podcast, but... I discovered how much I loved the outdoors when I was basically unable to access it. I mean, we have the the sand dunes on the east side of Lake Michigan was the one mm -hmm. spot we would go to, but maybe just a few times a year. I did one winter hike in like middle of Michigan, but otherwise <laughs> we have to drive like nine hours down to um, Great Smoky National mm -hmm. Park. And I did, I did a hike down there once, but yeah, anyways learned every time I came home, I just had this like urge to get outside and hike or backpack or just do something. And that shaped what I wanted to do with my life, where I wanted to live and the type of work that I wanted to do for sure. A hundred percent. Um, it's, it's a, that classic paradigm of you don't know what you have till it's gone. Yep. I was talking to my old basketball coach about that last night. Like they can't play hoops this year. The high school varsity players, imagine your whole life. You want to be a senior and play varsity basketball. They're going to have a one month season with eight games. Oof. We're just talking about how like, like when I was in high school, we were all politics and bitching about who's getting playing time and this and that. And like now that like they're doing outdoor practices 
in the winter in Washington. <laughs> it's true. Um, I think this last year we had a lot of things have been, you know, shaken up obviously and realizing what we have just on a, like just small things, man, being grateful for the little things. It's cliche to say, but it's so true. If you bring that mentality. Definitely. I mean, it's, it rings true for people like us that care about access to nature and getting outside and being active. But I think as a whole, as a society, um, COVID and quarantine really made a lot of us pause and reflect on the things that we actually valued in our lives because a lot of it was taken away from us. Um, and obviously I'm super fortunate to be where I'm at still, despite all of those things. And there's people who suffered a great deal more than I did, but I think everyone learned from it. I tried to, for sure. I, I just tried to stay focused on what I could control. That seems to be my kind of strategy that I used. Like, what else did you do to keep your batteries charged during this last six, eight months? Honestly, it's mostly for me, just the outdoor time. Um, like, there's nothing that clears my head better than getting outside and working out and whatever activity it ends up being. It's just, just medicine for me, really. Um, and more recently too, I've had, there's been a little bit of a slowdown in the work that's been flowing, uh, which has been honestly welcomed because I mean, I started working two weeks after I graduated and those, those were a hectic two weeks. It wasn't like I was lounging around. I had a whole bunch of stuff to take care of and set up my life. And then it work really didn't slow down until the holiday. So it was a pretty just nonstop grind. I think I in that about six month period only ended up taking two days off from work that entire time. Wow. That's wait, even including weekends or no, weekdays? like yeah. weekdays. Um, uh-huh. so, yeah, so on the so weekends you got two days off, but you're going, you, you worked five days a week for six months with two days off. Yeah. There's a lot of those weekends. There's a lot of those weekends. So we're like, I'd be editing normal office hours during the week. And then we'd have shoots scheduled on weekends because that's when the talent could do it. And so you end up working six, seven days a week at that rate. Mm-hmm. What, what's been a project that you've enjoyed that you're allowed to talk about and uh, maybe ha- what your role was on that? Um, Man, there's been a lot of great ones. I think one that I really enjoyed was going to New Mexico and filming for GMC and Airstream. Uh, can't go into too many specifics there, obviously, but we had a really amazing crew and as cool locations and everything like that. And the whole shoot ran super smoothly. So it's always awesome when that happens. But I'd never you, been to, you, yeah, never been to New Mexico or even remotely that area of the country so that was pretty fascinating and got to see a lot of cool places on the way because we drove from idaho to there as well over the course of two days i've never really spent time in new mexico either but is it similar to utah and its feel or how is it different i'd say it's a little bit different um it feels more like the desert does in like mexico i'd almost say a little bit like less red rock and like um what juniper trees and stuff like that and more like cactus and stuff like that nice i was going to mention this earlier when you were talking about the road trip and seeing the scenery change but i took a flight from puerto vallarta to seattle recently i was down there for the last four months up until a month ago um living living down there and recharging my own batteries and also working remotely and whatnot but um I had a window seat on the right side of the plane and we flew basically directly up the, above the land, up the coast from Puerto Vallarta, Seattle, crystal clear skies the whole way. And I was able to, I've never seen in my life, just like slowly the transition between the landscapes, like over time, I was like, wait, are we now in Utah? Are we in Colorado? Where are we? And trying to figure it out. And then just like having these almost existential thoughts of like, wow, you know, what is it, this earth that we're living on? It's just this big ball that we're all just like kind of spaced out on. And we have our little pockets here and there just to see like how humans, if you just really have that 30,000 foot view, literally how humans engage with nature and where we can survive is pretty fascinating. There's these 
towns up in the mountains in Mexico. It's like, how do they even get water up here? But yeah, source or whatever. So pretty uh, yeah, incredible. That was, that was a cool story. So yeah, um, wanted to hear wanted to hear some juicy details, but yeah, we, we won't go into into too much. But do you um, do you do you do like shoots where you're a PA, where you're directing, where you're a cinematographer? Like, where's kind of where are you putting your energy on a production now? Um, yeah. So like going back to that, uh, New Mexico shoot, I was, um, ACing mm-hmm. and then DIT, DITing. Yeah. So yeah, for people that don't, for people that don't know, AC is assistant camera, which pretty much means you're directly supporting the camera ops. So mm-hmm. getting them batteries, getting them media, um, setting up the rigs, moving the tripod around pretty much like whatever they need you're there for. Um, and then in the evenings I would DIT for the shoot as well. And then I was also, um, one of two like aerial operators on the shoot. So my buddy Spence that I do a lot of work with here, shout out Spenny. Um, he, so we're flying on an inspire Two drone from DJI. Um, so, and I have a dual op mode. So he was physically moving the drone. Um, and then I was operating all the camera settings and, you know, shooting the gimbal. And so that was the other role that I fulfilled. So a, I guess a bit of a jack of all trades. It made for some really long yeah. days, really long days though. Cause I had to be on set all day long. And then as soon as we got back to the hotel, everyone else just is done more or less. And then I still had, you know, five, six hours of DIT work to do well into the night. And then, you know, you're back up and call time at like 630 the next day. (laughs) And how long did that production last? Uh, We had four days of shooting, one day of scouting. Man, so you didn't sleep much for those four or five days. Nope. (laughs) I was I had a role as a DIT and somewhat assistant camera slash second camera operator on that documentary film I maybe told you that I worked on and yep. I've never done DIT before, but it's, it's that role that's time consuming. That's so easy to do, but if you mess it up, the stakes are so high because you're literally, yeah. you're backing up the data to two separate hard drives or whatnot. Have you ever yeah. had to do DIT from like a campsite or not in with like electrical outlets? Um, well, so on that shoot, I actually did some element of the DITing in the field, which is something I like to do if I can pull it off, because it just means you got less work to do later when you get back to the Little hotel. Gaps in your day. Yeah. Just yeah, start like, cards in. like, like a lot of times, like during lunch break, right? Like I'm going to get all the cards that I can get from the sound guy, all the cameras, whatever, and then start dumping that. So that's just one less thing I have to do when I get home from the shoot. Um, but yeah, DITing is definitely a stressful job. Um, and often overlooked and undervalued, I'd say. Um, so in, like, in addition to backing up and dumping all the footage from the day too, they also had me pull selects and make like a daily reel so that we could send that to the client (laughs) and then the, the client could get back to us as far as like this shot worked we still need this shot, et cetera, stuff like that. So we knew what pickups we needed for the next couple of days. Um, so it was like superhuman that you can pull all that like, off. I don't know if it's just me listening right now, but the, the amount of roles that you're doing, it's like, that's, that's a crazy amount of different it, shoes and hats. To yeah. Wear. I mean like on a normal shoe, there'd probably be three different people, but yeah, the budgets are tight. So you got to make it happen. I hope you got compensated well for that, man. But nonetheless, you learned a ton and um, oh, you learned that you were a, a workhorse out there too. So once you, once you're known as that, you got to keep that reputation going though. Reputation uh, is key in this industry. So, honestly though, just working hard is like, you know, half the battle in anything. Like I, when I take something on, I like to just like put everything I have into it. Why would I try and like, if you're truly passionate about it, there's no reason to hold back and put less energy than you could, you know? Exactly. I, I, when I was on that dock, I was DIT as well. And I was literally like running around trying to get a time-lapse of the sunset while doing DIT and also setting up tents. And yeah, it's, it's a fun time. I, I think I see myself actually doing a little bit more DIT work. I'm hoping to get 
involved with another doc that I could potentially do that with. Yeah, I've ended up doing quite a decent amount of ACing or DITing or both um, on a lot of shoots since I've graduated. So uh, working with a team, you're working with guys that have a lot more experience than you. Did you, were you, um, were you like, was it hard for you to just get those first reps or, or did you have the experience necessary when you joined the team or was it something that they're like, okay, he's green, we're going to train him a bit and then he's going to be able to do his thing? Um, it, I feel like it's definitely a trial by fire thing. I'm not going to lie. Heard, <laughs> heard so some people say fake it till you make it and that definitely yeah. rings true for my experience. Like, So my first job literally straight out of moving here from school I was working on a reality TV show for seven weeks that was filming uh, based out of Ketchum. And um, I was the second AC on that show. And keep in mind, I've never AC'd in my life before up until this point. I mean, like, everyone ACs for themselves in an informal sense, you know, when you go out and shoot. But it's different when you're on a show that has, you know, probably a four to $500,000 budget per episode. And they're running eight to 10 cameras all the day long. Um, it's a lot to keep up with. And I was just like, you know, like building the rigs was super unfamiliar for me. I hadn't built out mm -hmm. camera rigs that were that extensive with, you know, all sorts of follow focus features, setting up Teradex and the whole gamut. Um, and so that was definitely a crazy experience to get thrown into, but I made it out the other side and it's been an invaluable experience to have had because it's enabled me to do a lot more of that work going forward and feel more comfortable about doing it. That's awesome. Super fascinated with your experience because in another life I would have really leaned, I think had I been in your position, I would have jumped on the opportunity to work with the company, like the type of company that you work with seems like really cool people and on cool projects. And um, yeah, so it's just cool to kind of get under the hood a little bit and hear what that's like from the inside. Um, you know, when you're growing up, when we were growing up, like what was your dream job? Like when they asked you in like elementary school, hey, Pierce, what do you want to do? You do anything? Uh, honestly, uh, for a long time, probably from like, middle school well into high school and even a little bit into college i've always wanted to be an astronaut which sounds like a totally cliche thing to do but like that's the track that i was on i mean it took a lot of stem courses in high school pretty much as much like math and physics as i could possibly take with the courses that we had and then you know almost half of my college experience was spent as a mechanical engineer, which is more or less the type of degree that you need to actually be an astronaut. Um, but that obviously didn't work out. And here I am. Yeah. I think there's something about when you're a kid, a certain type of kid wants to be an astronaut. I wanted, I wanted to be an astronaut. I also wanted to be in the NBA. <laughs> that, never, that was not going to happen. I think I figured that out pretty early that wasn't going to happen but yeah uh, i mean like i even like, went yeah. as far my junior year of high school i participated in a program run by the museum of flight there in seattle um oh, called cool. washington aerospace scholars and so all throughout my junior year i had pretty much an extra class or two that i was taking online for that program and then the students that did well enough in those classes got an invite to do a one week long residency at the Museum of Flight over the summer where we worked in teams and did all sorts of like design challenges and stuff like that. Hmm. And it was an absolutely amazing experience. At um, what age, sorry? A junior year of high school. So I would wow. have been what, 17 probably. That's cool. They should do more stuff like that, man. Kids are so creative. Yeah, I think um, those types of resources i was talking to my girlfriend about this she's from mexico and they don't have anything like that right like this the public schools down there are not what they are here like i had a we used to go on field trips and stuff like that like is accessible to public school kids um yeah we uh we have a pretty good system or did i think they've cut back funding a lot at least in the school districts mm -hmm. around here yeah i think i was like probably one of three students from my high school that ended up doing that program 
I learned about it through my IB physics teacher. So. Oh, nice. It was definitely a, a small group to begin with. Uh huh. So um, we were talking before that about just kind of like taking on before I got interrupted by security for the second time. Anyways, um, just about like just taking on roles that you don't have the experience for. And one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was like the myths that hold us back creatively. And I'm going to roll the dice and take the mask off again because I can't handle it. Um, <laughs> what myths have held you back? What stories have you told in your past that have held you back from being the best version of yourself or maybe not learning as much as you could learn? I know growth mindset was something we talked about would be kind of the core of this conversation. So let's go towards that direction. Definitely. I mean, spinning off of that, the whole idea of like growth versus six mindset is your perception of failure, more or less, was what it boils down to. So if you're fixed mindset, you see failure as a representation of, you know, your self-worth or your skills or whatever. And in a growth mindset, you see it as an opportunity to better yourself and to learn. So I think that really plays into what you're talking about there. And I think for most people, what holds them back is that fear of failure. I'm not going to lie. Um, and then maybe for some people, like access to equipment or something like that is like, oh, like I would totally make this movie, but I don't have X camera, which is like I've made so many movies just shot off of iPhones. <laughs> you know, it's like almost everyone has access to a camera nowadays. The technology has become far more democratized than it's ever been. Um, I mean, that's just talking within the film world, though. So I can't speak to other artistic endeavors. But yeah, I think at least when I was first shooting, too, I, I was always so nervous to share my work because I was afraid of what other people would think of it or if they would, wouldn't like it. But over time, I've gotten more comfortable with that. And it's kind of going back to what you were talking about earlier is like only worrying about things that you can control. So that's kind of how I view it of like, I'll put in all the effort on my end to shoot and edit and get it to where I want it to be. And then as soon as I publish it, I just stop worrying about it, you know, because I can't control people's perception of my work. And that's part of the fun of it too, is people see things in my work that I don't see in it for myself. And so mm -hmm. I love, I love hearing that. And not everyone likes all of my photos or they like ones that I don't like as much compared to the ones I do like a lot for myself. So I think that's a big part of it is recognizing that when you're producing creative work, you need to do it for yourself and only for yourself and not worry about what other people are going to think or say about it because it's not under your control. I'll tell you, man, if I was worried about what other people thought when it came to this podcast, A, I wouldn't, I would be always thinking about like what I'm saying and then I wouldn't be myself and it would just be brutal and horrible, horrible experience for me, first of all. Um, but second, I would have given up long ago. And it's like, I think Seth Godin has this take. He's like, describes what it is to have a practice like a practice is something whatever it doesn't have to be artistic it can just be running a business or just a practice of being a good parent or a good son or whatever a good coach but it's waking up every day doing what you're going to do regardless of the outcome and just like committing to this is something that i'm going to be just like hammering away at for a long time that's just my words kind of like paraphrasing him he nailed it and i just totally butchered it but basically um the practice is is like whatever it is for you. Um, it's just going to take time and effort and it's not going to be easy. So I love what you talk about, like fear of failure. I want to ask you like how you exercise that muscle. Was it always easy for you to hear no? Do you intentionally put yourself in situations where you might fail to like get a little taste of that? How do you, <laughs> how do you build that? How do you build that muscle? Um, it takes a lot of time, I think, um, to not be so scared by it. But I think I first learned it in sports. I'm not going to lie, um, before I learned it in my artistic endeavors, um, like growing up mountain biking a lot. For me, it was always one of those things like it's kind of like the joke of if you're not crashing, you're not riding hard enough or pushing yourself. And I, saying, I think, I think that rings so true because like 
in pretty much any adventure sport that I know of, I mean, we're putting our bodies on the line, but it's not that the people that are more experienced crash or, you know, mess up any less often. It's just that they're better at recovering from it or better at crashing well. Like I've had some enormous falls on my mountain bike that if I had taken earlier in my career would have probably put me in the hospital. But because I was had crashed a lot, you know, I was good at crashing. So it's like you have to do something a lot to be good at it. So in a sense, you have to fail a lot to be good at it and to be comfortable with it. And a failure in a mountain biking jump is a bigger failure than like not having your project be selected as the winner of some competition, you know, like yeah, yeah. everything's relative. Totally. I think like, that's, yeah. that's one of the huge like benefits of participating in adventure sports to me is that it makes everything else in life feel just so much easier to tackle because you're not putting your body and your life on the line. You know, you're just making a small decision and you know, what's the worst that could happen. I always like, whenever I have friends that have things where like, Oh, I like, really want to do this. Or I really want to ask X person if they would help me or something like that. And my answer to that has always been the worst that they can say is no. Like, how bad could it really get, you know? So I'm trying to hunt you down and yeah, so I mean, mad that you asked a question, you know? So like for me, it's like, I'm used to juggling and doing risk and consequence calculations mm-hmm. on a level of which it's life threatening versus if that's what I'm used to doing when I end up having to make decisions that aren't, don't have those consequences or nearly even close, it just makes it that much more manageable to deal with. I think the connection you just drew between outdoor sports, adventure sports, and the rest of life and being able to deal with failure is more eloquently put than I could ever say it, but I just resonate so much with it. I remember I got into mountain biking three years ago, four years ago, maybe 22 years old, I'm 26. And so I would be, I don't know, I just think it, seeing yourself improve on a thing that's very hard it it's like very inspiring and then you're sitting in class later that day and the teacher asks you a question or whatever i was in college at the time and um you know you're like feeling good from your mountain bike ride like what's the worst that's going to happen if you don't you know show up on time to class even or just like answer the question right or do well on your test like it does keep things in perspective i think and you also just get that that time to think when you're in an outdoor adventure sport versus a team sport or like a gym sport um like being in the gym for example there's music playing there's all these different uh people walking by and you're you know there's all these different uh, distractions when you're up there um in the mountain doing what whatnot you have a lot of, a lot of space mentally which i really love about it definitely i mean like i do a lot of solo adventures i love doing outdoor activities with other people but there's a huge benefit for me of going on walks in the mountain per se by myself because it's more meditative and you have time to think and to be in your own head. And I feel like I've grown a lot from having those experiences. Do you get that time to be in your own head on a daily basis? Or is that something you seek out like for longer periods? Um, I'd say definitely on a daily basis for me. I mean, it'd be great to have, you know, like five hours to just go slackline or tour by myself in the backcountry, but I don't always have that luxury. So still finding the time to do, do it every single day, at least is important, but the duration isn't as much. Can you keep telling more stories? There's a drill in the background. (laughs) Hmm. What can I think of? I think another important thing with adventure sports, particularly is learning to trust yourself. Um, because that ultimately builds up confidence and self-esteem. Um, and like, I think for me, the classic example of that is like in skiing or mountain biking, you know, hitting a jump for the first time and not having someone to lead you into it. It's, it's almost akin to like my experience with ACing on that reality TV show. (laughs) Like I've never done this before. It's a huge undertaking. 
Like it could go well, it could go very poorly. I have no idea. But if you never make that jump, you'll never know. And so the more the more often you take that jump, the more comfortable you get with doing that feeling. And then geez, what is my camera doing? Um yeah, so the more often you do the jump, the more comfortable you get with that feeling. Cause you know, like early on when I was mountain biking, like guinea pigging a jump for the first time gave me such bad butterflies in my stomach. I'd be just a nervous wreck, but like but the more more and often then you do it, then the less you have the nerves and the more you start to calculate your risk and your decisions. Learning how to crash, learning how to fail and not like make it a devastating thing. It's harder on a mountain bike than it is in normal life because in a mountain bike, there's some things that are out of your control. Like if you fall and you smash your hand on the ground or whatever, like yesterday I hit my thumb and my hand on a tree when I was skiing. Oh, that's the worst. Do stuff like this. Yeah. Trees, trees are pretty immovable objects I've learned. <laughs> I was, I was not moving slow either. Um, and so my thumb is really sore today. I don't think it's broken, but it's definitely swollen. Uh, I, and get this, this little side story. I think, um, my ski pole went to another parallel universe. This is my only explanation because I hit the tree, my ski pole fell out of my hand and I looked for 30 minutes, couldn't find it. I dug through the snow, like all over the place. And there wasn't that much fresh snow. So my yeah. ski pole was just literally like disappeared. Well, and like you knew the exact area in which it happened too. <laughs> yes. And it can't like go that far. It was crazy. Um, anyways. Yeah. So I, I just, I'm kind of diving in and I, I love using analogies, you know, drawing parallels, metaphors, whatever you want to say. And like just between mountain biking or failing. And I think what you're saying, as far as when we started talking about the myths that hold us back and you mentioned like three right off the bat, like the, the gear being too expensive, the um, fear of failure. And then you just really put it in perspective there, which I, um, which I loved. And then what was the third one? I can't remember. Cause just really good good stuff I can't, oh, oh and like i don't know worrying about what people will think of your that's work. what it was yes worrying about others judgment that's uh and like that goes for just all life too like if you spend your entire life worrying about what other people think of you or how they're going to perceive you you're just going to be an unhappy person and stressed all the time because <laughs> no one it can be inside of your head and live your life for you. So like you shouldn't let external factors control you that much. And obviously it's good to, you know, listen to your parents because they have more life experience than you and other people. But at the end of the day, you have to live your life for yourself. Totally. Totally. You do. What um, has been something in the past that's that for you, like you used to value a lot and now you're just like, ah, now I'm focused on something else oh, man. in terms of what other people think about you or what, like, did you used to worry about, you know, person like you went a little bit into it, but go a little deeper on how you, what's your journey been with just like dealing with um, judgment and stuff like that? That's the um, I mean, I never like got directly bullied for it. But at the beginning, when I was shooting photos more and then actually publishing them, that was, I felt like a lot of people, I don't know, they were just like, oh, he's like trying to be cool and hipster and like thought I was, like, I thought that I was doing it for like putting on a show or having a persona or doing it for other people. And in reality, that was never the goal. It's just like something that I did for myself. Um, and, that's definitely something that I've learned to let go of over time, which just, you know, goes back to the same point of not worrying about what other people think. Very well said. Yeah. Um, I have the same thing with the podcast, right? Like I do it. I don't know. You just, the way that your practice is with your photography is very similar to how I think about the podcast. And um, when you put your voice and you're sharing your ideas and like coming on here, for example, like, you know, not everyone agrees with everything. And I actually like to have healthy disagreements. So sometimes I'll just kind of take the alternative perspective just to see where the conversation goes. Uh, I was totally. thinking today, actually, I want to have someone on the podcast that I have a disagreement with <laughs> Have a, and just display like you, we can disagree and still enjoy a conversation together. Yeah. I feel like we're a little too similar <laughs> yeah. for that to happen between us, but 
yeah. yeah i mean been, so like another yeah. thing too is like it's not that i it makes me sad or like angry when people dislike my work in fact like i honestly like getting critique better than i do praise because critique gives me something to work on it's going back to that like growth versus fixed mindset so a lot of times when I'm producing like bigger pieces, my, most of my photo work, I pretty much know exactly how I want to dial it in and I don't need feedback at this point. But, you know, with like the most recent uh, video that I posted with all those drone shots and the mountains in the background, like I edited that and then probably sent it to a good 20 people and then got feedback on it and then went back and revisited it and made some tweaks that was informed by their feedback and then also things that I noticed as I watched it more. And one of my really, really good friends from college and still to this day, um, Annie, she's like, we're such polar opposites in so many ways. And, um, but she's also a very artistic person, but I love sending my work to her cause she'll just rip it to shreds and be brutally honest with me. And it's great because no one else does that. Because you know, everyone else is afraid of making me feel bad, but in reality, like that's what I want. That's what makes me better. Seeking criticism and knowing what's useful criticism is yeah. That's the other thing. I mean, you got to filter out some of it and yeah. know what, like, balancing what you want to do with it versus what other people want you to do with it. And in your personal work, that's a little bit easier to do. But when it comes to a professional setting, that's something that's actually pretty challenging. Of like when I'm editing pieces, you know, the client gives me feedback, but at the end of the day, it is actually up to my discretion whether or not to factor that in and make a change. And sometimes you're going to have to like temper their expectations or whatnot. So that can be a difficult balance to strike. Yeah, that is a, that is a difficult area for sure. Like it's their decision to hire you, but they're hiring you for your creative insight and to do exactly. the best job that you can possibly do. And you're the specialist. So, um, yeah, that's, that's interesting. When you, when you have a lot more experience, it's easier to be like, Oh, here are the reasons why that's not going to work to a client. Uh, do you, do, do you communicate directly with clients or how does it work? Like once you're in post-production, are you, do you have someone that's reviewing your work after it's done before it goes to the client? And then it goes, like, what's the, what's the workflow like typically? Um, it varies, but I prefer to have a direct line of communication with whoever the client is or whoever is in charge on their end, at least. Um, like if they have a creative director, a marketing person that you're kind of working with on an edit, um, that's really nice. And going back to like always wanting to get feedback on things, obviously unless I feel super strongly that I just knocked it out of the park on the first get go, which is very rare. Um, I will have other people review it internally before it goes to the client. And that's more so like on the very, very first delivery, like when you give the, the first rough cut, you know, mm -hmm. cause you have a reputation to uphold at whatever company you're working for, or if you're doing work for yourself that, you know, you don't want to deliver a rough cut that's super rough. You know, you want your rough cut to be 90, 95% of the way there already. Totally. Hardly a rough cut, more a fine cut. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I prefer it that way. I might as well get it out of the way with. Because then the rest of the time you're just dealing with the fine tuning. Do you like the storytelling element of editing or do you like the visual? And like, how do you think about... Because my, my girlfriend and I, are, we've both been editing a lot of videos recently and um, we both have like different approaches. Like I, I'm more like I listen to the voice and I use the, the kind of the exposition to tell the narrative a bit more, which is more of like, it's obviously more of a rookie style at first, but then I try and mix in the images and the visuals later, but she has a better feel for just setting a tone and having a vibe and not necessarily thinking about the cuts and the voice and the story as much right away. I would like, What's your kind of your take on that uh, storytelling uh, element of editing? Yeah. I mean, I think earlier on in my editing career, I was definitely much more focused on the visuals of things, which makes sense coming from a photographic background that that's be the thing that I'd be probably best at uh, is curating your images that you're deciding to show people. 
But as time has progressed, I feel like I've gotten a lot more proficient with the actual storytelling of it because I mean, that's really what film breaks down to be is like you have your audio, your narration or whatever, and you're trying to combine images that align with the message that you're trying to tell. Most of the message is not actually told visually, in my opinion, when it comes down to video editing, the message all comes from your narration or whatever form of audio that you kind of have. And I would say the atmosphere and the tone of the film is very visually driven in that sense. So they're kind of opposites, but they work in tandem. Mm -hmm. And then obviously like music and sound design doesn't really tell the story, but that also informs your atmosphere and tone of the piece as well. Do you think that's specifically, are you referring to like documentaries and like maybe some commercial work? Or do you think that, um, cause I know from, for like narrative work, it's more about the visuals. Would you agree with that? I, I'm obviously, you know, outside my pay grade here. I I guess so. I mean, because they say they say telling a story should be like even if the captions are even if it's in another language, you should still be able to understand the story with like to sixty percent or something like that. You should be able to kind of understand what's going on just from the visuals. Yeah, I, I think can documentary get... is a little different because you have you have visuals that might just be a man hiking, but you really don't know what's inside his head or what his journey has been until you can either tell that story, you know, with the images of whatever happened, but often you don't have that. You have someone talking about something that happened. Yeah. I mean, See where I'm th going. that kind of goes back to like almost in my sense, like your talent, whether it is documentary or narrative, like their reactions and their facial expressions are going to tell probably just as much as any sort of dialogue or narration that you could have as well. So in that sense, yes, the visual can definitely also in inform the story. Mm -hmm. What else is on your mind, man? What are you working on? Do you have any projects lined up for 2021 personal stuff or stuff that you're excited about through, through your work? Yeah, there's actually a lot. Um, I mean, I was speaking earlier that there's been a bit of a break in work, but that break has also been exceedingly helpful for, spearheading some of my own personal projects i'm still working on that ski film that we talked about last time and that's getting really close to finally being published which is awesome nice. um excited to share that with everyone and then um more recently um annie the gal that i've been talking about is a dear friend of mine from school um we're in the process of writing a screenplay for a feature length film about some oh. of your, yeah, big, big project. Yeah. Um, about some of her experiences um, from like middle of high school onward into college. Um, I don't want to go into too much detail about it because um, the subject is pretty sensitive and personal in nature, but you know, eventually people will hear the story, but out of because I'm always keeping my ears kind of open for projects and stories that are worth telling and I have to say out of all of the ideas and projects that have ever been pitched to me in my career and in my life at this point this hands down is the most worthy of being told um, so that gives me a lot of motivation to see it all the way through to the big screen very cool very cool. That's that's exciting when you have that type of conviction behind the work that you're doing. That's huge. Definitely. And the other cool thing is we have some amazing connections with um, former professors of ours. And then as well as I have a lot of connections in the film industry now of, you know, people that I would want to hire on for doing the actual production. And all of that stuff is just falling into place just perfectly like wow. playing Tetris. Um, and so it's also, I feel like it's one of those things that's kind of a sign from the universe that you're in the right place, doing the right thing at the right time that you, you, we're not fighting the current on it at all. We're going with it. That's a good feeling for sure. How, but you didn't get to that point by just like rolling out of bed one day and going with the flow. Like it really took work and years and years of dedication to your craft. Totally. I mean, like as much as you're like flowing downstream with the river, you're also paddling the whole time. Yeah.
got to avoid <laughs> log jams and stuff like that. Exactly. There's definitely an element of navigation and skill still involved there. Yeah. The analogy of kayaking down a river. I love it. I love it. Don't want to capsize. That's for sure. Nope. Um, awesome Pierce. Well, it's been a pleasure, man. Um, this, I think you're, you're a regular on the podcast now. You'll be, you'll be, we'll be hearing from you again. Um, again, at exit episode 27 was awesome. Uh, hopefully the next one in person. Yeah, that would be awesome. I'd love to actually be face to face and chat. Yeah, me too, man. Also would love to just get out and do some adventures with you as well. Totally. But we got the rest of our lives ahead of us, so I'm sure it'll happen. Yes, sir. Stay healthy, stay active. I'm going to be training for that day. So um, look forward to a tour or mountain bike ride. It'll be fun. Or you do both in the same day. It's actually something. I I mean, it's kind of a joke that I I did this accidentally one day a while back. And so I kind of coined it into a term, but it's the Sun Valley Triathlon. So I tried to rock climb, ski, mountain bike or hike or slackline all in the same day and just like cram in as many activities as possible throughout the day. Cause I, I ended, up. Up, I ended up doing it accidentally one time. And then I was at the top of the hike at the end of the day. It was the day that I shoot, I shot that, um, the video from that mountaintop actually. When um, I met you? No. Well, it's the same place. Uh-huh. But the video that I just posted recently, oh, yes, yes, at Proctor, uh, like with the person Proctor, standing yes. on the chairlift, um, it yes. was that day, and I was at the top, and I had the realization of like, wait a minute, I climbed in the morning, I skied in the afternoon, and now I'm hiking. Like, it's kind of like a Sun Valley triathlon. <laughs> That's really cool. I we share a similar ethic over here in the Washington region, just about getting out doing different sports. I did Definitely. one time. I'll, my claim to fame is. Uh, my dad took me skiing and sailing in the same day when I was a young kid, like nice. March or something. We went skiing, came home, and went out on a sailboat. It's just that's the awesome. Beauty of, the beauty of living up here in the PNW. Seeing it, mountains to sound the whole way. There it is, mountains to sound. Yeah, I want to do. I had this idea. I'll let you go, but I had this idea: twenty-four sports in twenty-four hours, all oh, outdoor, all adventure style. I like and that. I kind of had it planned out, but I just didn't have committed insane people to do it with it'd be a big big push well sign me up (laughs) (laughs) midnight at rainier at the top of camp mirror to ski down is the start and then we hit some snow sports some river and mountain biking on the way home some lake sports Uh that was that was the plan that's rad i love it awesome man well anyways man thanks again for coming on the pod i'll circle after we stop recording i'll just talk to you for another second but um yeah, I want to extend yeah. my appreciation because um, you share a ton of really valuable insights for especially people that are interested in photography, video, art, like creating for themselves. And I think um, you're just, yeah, you're you're someone that I look to for that type of insight. And I appreciate you sharing it in a recorded format that can be listened to later on by myself. Definitely. I mean, we all have something to learn from each other. Yes, sir. And um, yeah, till next time, excited to see what you work on, where that, those few projects you mentioned go. Yeah, likewise. I appreciate you having me on for a second time and I look forward to recording another sometime in the future. All right, Pierce, that's a wrap. Thanks, man. Take care.